You're listening to a podcast of local news from the County of Suffolk in the United Kingdom. This is brought to you by the St. Edmundsbury News Talk Association, a UK registered charity. Hello listeners and welcome to the 1908th edition of St Edmundsby News Talk for the week of Thursday the 8th of December 2022. The editor of this edition is Sheila Franklin, the producer is Roger Morris and your readers are Val Fletcher and David Palmer. We should also mention our processing team who work hard behind the scenes to copy and dispatch this memory stick to you. Our four headlines this week are Increase in concerns over work culture at Hospital Trust Controversial Echo Flats, empty for two years, are to be sold Hundreds to be helped after festive food bank appeal And two Suffolk towns named among Britain's happiest places to live Concerns over the working culture at West Suffolk Hospitals Trust have increased with frustration that little changes when staff speak up and some fearful to do so. The number of issues raised with West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust's Freedom to Speak Up, and in brackets FTSU for short, Guardians has increased over the last five quarters, rising to 62 in the second quarter of this year. A report presented to the Bury St Edmunds Hospitals Trust Board, which met on Friday, noted that 15 cases were raised by a registered nurse or midwife. 15 people spoke about staffing, 6 about excessive workload, 6 related to a specific incident, 2 were concerned with HR processes, 2 were regarding pay and 2 about insufficient facilities for staff. The report from Amanda Bennett, Freedom to Speak Up Guardian, said Themes seen in previous quarters continue to dominate some concerns, the most significant being staffing concerns and workload pressures. Feedback from staff indicate that there is a feeling that staff are consistently going above and beyond and working under excessive pressure. Staffing in the community nursing teams was highlighted as an area where staff felt nothing had changed as a result of speaking up, she said. Feedback also indicated the need to continue focus on changing the culture to enable speaking up to become business as usual. Feedback from the evaluations and from conversations indicate that there are colleagues within the trust who fear detriment, especially losing their job as a result of speaking up. She noted there was a need for increased feedback to staff at all levels to show how concerns were being responded to and changes made. Miss Bennett added, more needs to be done to create a psychologically safe working environment to give people confidence in the speak up process, particularly for those staff in the lower paid bandings. Feedback shows staff's perception is that this way of working is now expected as normal and not recognised by senior leaders and executives. She noted that walkabouts from executives were well received, but increased visibility would be appreciated. 
After each Freedom to Speak Up case is closed, the person receives an evaluation form to report on their experience of the process. In the second quarter, nine responses were received with seven deciding not to take further action, while two said they would. Two people said they suffered detriment, one was anonymous and one has been contacted with The Guardian working with them to identify next steps. While the FTSU process was positive, Miss Bennett said staff were frustrated by the lack of change. A controversial block of affordable apartments, which has been empty for two years due to problems with the building, is to be sold. Havebury Housing Partnership had been weighing up its options for the award-winning Goodfellows flats in Bury St Edmunds after tenants were rehomed in 2020 when a survey found improvements were needed. The Housing Association has not revealed what was wrong with the 12 flats in Kings Road Parkway, which were built in 2008, and, despite being hailed for their eco-friendly and sustainable design, proved controversial over the years due to their appearance. On Tuesday, a Havebury spokesman said it had taken longer than they would have liked to reach the decision to sell due to the COVID-19 pandemic and changing economic environment. Money from the sale is to be invested in building new homes. West Suffolk Green Councillor Julia Wakelam, who raised concerns about the empty flats, said she was shocked at the decision to sell. She said, We have people in real need of housing in our town, not least refugees from Ukraine and elsewhere, and here are 12 homes which have been empty for over two years, which in my view could easily be brought back into use. Blaming the pandemic for this is really not good enough. There's been plenty of time for them to have been brought back up to scratch. Councillor Wakelam said the core of Havebury's business was to provide homes for people in need, not to act as property developers. While she welcomed investment from the sale into building affordable homes, she questioned why Havebury could not renovate the homes it owned to provide accommodation now. She added this would be much better for the environment, since it seems likely to me that any buyer will demolish these homes, thereby wasting all the materials and embedded carbon in the existing buildings. Councillor Wakeblum noted there was no confirmation that the new homes would be in Bury even, and called on Havebury to consider building social housing, which has lower rents. Issues with the flats were publicly revealed in February 2020, and Havebury confirmed in October that year that the last remaining tenant would be moving out. It said the required work was delayed due to the COVID-19 pandemic, but the Berry Free Press reported in September that the flats were still empty. The association said it was looking for the most cost-effective solution to bring the flats back into use. A Havebury spokesman said, after carefully considering several options, we've decided to sell Goodfellows, a vacant scheme in Berry St Edmunds. Building, buying, improving and selling homes is a core part of our business. All the money raised from this sale will be invested in building new, affordable homes. The pandemic and changing economic environment mean it's taken us longer than we would have liked to reach this decision. We build around 200 new homes each year and own and manage over 7,000 affordable homes across the east of England. 
They added that the company had an ambitious development program, but had no further comments <coughs> excuse me, to make when asked about the sale and the works required at Goodfellows. When first announced, Havebury said the works needed at Goodfellows were expected to be disruptive, and it was likely that they would have to remove the windows, doors and staircases. Around 100 residents will be helped over Christmas thanks to this year's Berry Free Press Festive Food Bank Appeal. <coughs> Dozens of bags and boxes filled with food and gifts were donated during the six-week appeal, which will now be made into festive hampers by Gatehouse Charity volunteers and given to those in need. Charity CEO Amanda Bloomfield said, We will now be able to provide them with those luxury items this year, helping to support those that would otherwise go without. It is really great to see the community coming together to help those in need, especially at the moment. It makes a really big difference to those that need it, she added. Donated items included more than a 100 tins and jars of non-perishable food, dozens of new children's toys and clothing and small gifts for adults. Most notably, a box full of jewellery that appeared to be handmade was donated during the appeal. Amanda said of these gifts, it is really nice to see that people are putting in the effort, in particular with handmade items and gifts that they have chosen to really think about the people who need them, who need help. The food bank has seen exponential demand this year, with 600 emergency hampers needed to cover the need over the Christmas period. This is around six times more than what the charity supplied when its food bank launched ten years ago. Throughout the campaign, Amanda has spoken out about the increase in people seeking help from their services. She said due to pressures with the cost of living crisis, inflation on everyday items and rising fuel costs, she was not expecting the demand to end any time soon. Every year the need is increasing and the continued support is very much appreciated by the charity, she explained. Without your help, we wouldn't be able to provide the many services that we offer. As well as their festive hampers, Gatehouse offers a Christmas lunch for those who may otherwise be alone for the holiday. Taking place on December the 25th at St Benedict's School in Beaton's Way, the lunch is well attended every year. Amanda hopes this year's event will help people suffering loneliness or going through a difficult time to enjoy themselves and have some company. Woodbridge and Bury St Edmunds have been named as two of Britain's happiest place, places to live in a new study. The Suffolk towns have been ranked third and eighth, respectively, in the latest edition of Right Moves, Right Moves Happy at Home Index, which asks residents how they feel about where they live. Cities, towns and villages were ranked based on factors, such as whether people feel there is a sense of belonging, the proximity to green spaces, local amenities and whether there is a community spirit. More than 21,000 people responded to the survey, with St Ives in Cornwall top and the Scottish town of Galashiels in second place. Woodbridge and Bury St Edmunds were the only places in the east of England to make the top 20. Earlier this year, Woodbridge was named as one of the best places to live in the east of England by the Sunday Times newspaper, 
and Boxford, between Sudbury and Hadley, was also included in the list. John Risby, director of Choose Woodbridge, said he was delighted to hear the town had been included in Right Moves Guide. He said, I'm absolutely delighted to hear Woodbridge has once again been recognised nationally as a great place to live. Just as the name of the index suggests, our town really is a happy place to live, work and visit. We're truly blessed here, be it the surrounding natural beauty of the River Deben and Kyson Hill, or our high streets bustling with life and a sea of independent shops. We regularly hear from visitors about how much they love coming to Woodbridge, and we hope our inclusion will bring more new faces to our town to see firsthand just what makes us so special. Tim Bannister, Right Moves Director of Property Science, said, This year's Happy at Home survey really shows that the things that make people happy to live in their area are not so much the physical aspects of that area, but more the personal aspects, such as our sense of belonging, the community and the people. The last few months have undoubtedly been difficult for many, and as we learned during another difficult period in 2020, this is often when we look to our local area and community for support and happiness. Now, general in more general news this week. A new, larger West Suffolk hospital has been given the go-ahead for Bury St Edmunds after a split vote by councillors. The need for a new hospital was weighed against fears about emergency access and ecological harm at West <coughs> Suffolk Council's Development Control Committee as the chairman cast the deciding vote in favour. A new hospital of up to 100,000 square metres will replace the existing West Suffolk Hospital, which is 44,000 square metres, and be located on the Hardwick Manor's site in Hardwick Lane. A full planning application to change the use of Hardwick Manor from residential to health-related was also approved. At Wednesday's meeting, Councillor Andrew Drummond, who recommended approval, said, The care you get at West Suffolk Hospital is fantastic, but the building is past its use by date and that will inevitably affect services. The current hospital was built in the 1970s and has structural defects associated with the RAAC, which is short for Reinforced Autoclaved Aerated Concrete which was used in its roof and walls. It is expected the current building would not last far beyond 2030 and government funding was gained to replace it under the new hospitals programme with a commitment to have it built by 2030. The application site of approximately 54 hectares is owned by West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, for short WSFT. According to the officer's report, the development is expected to result in the loss of 11.5 hectares of a wax cap grassland from the Hardwick Manor site. This type of grassland is classified as irreplaceable habitat. Councillor Jason Crooks said this is a real shame. The applicant has chosen to destroy parkland that's hundreds of years old and it is completely irreplaceable when we all know there are better alternatives. A compensation strategy will involve the planting of at least 115 hectares of waxclap grassland wood pasture in another location, 
but this will take decades to develop. The site for compensation must be secured before work on the hospital starts on the site. The officer's report accepted that harm to ecology cannot be avoided. The decision allows WSFT to submit a business plan as part of an application for funding from central government. West Suffolk health bosses met on Friday to plan for the months and years ahead with winter arrangements and innovative digital wards among the matters discussed. The West Suffolk NHS Foundation Trust, which manages West Suffolk Hospital in Bury St Edmunds, is planning for the winter period in association with the West Suffolk Alliance. Clement uh, Mayweo, West Suffolk's Director of Integrated Adult Health and Social Care, told members of the Trust's board of efforts, uh, Trust Board of efforts to maximise the number of available hospital beds through to March and to prepare for surges in novel strains of COVID-19. Additional financial and material support was also being provided to care homes. The West Suffolk Alliance, a partnership of health and care partners, is being allocated £1.9 million via the Adult Social Care Discharge Fund. The local hospital trust will be able to benefit from these funds, which are meant to enable the early discharge of patients. NHS England has urged all trusts to roll out virtual wards, and Dr Vivian Yu was at hand to promote the model in West Suffolk. Under virtual ward arrangements, Patients are discharged from hospital to recover at home from where they are subject to constant but remote supervision by health workers. The county's new chief constable has spoken of her pride to take on the force's top role as she becomes the first woman to do so. Chief Constable Rafe Ra Rachel Keaton was officially appointed on Friday, December the 2nd at the police and crime panel held at Endeavour House. C.C. Keaton joined Suffolk Constabulary in September 2015 as its Assistant Chief Constable. Her career has seen her work for the Foreign and Commonwealth Office in Turkey and in UK forces in Hampshire, West Yorkshire and Northumbria. She was promoted to Deputy Chief Constable in Suffolk in 2019 and has been the temporary Chief since her predecessor Steve Jupp left in September 2022. Following her appointment, she said, I am immensely proud to be appointed as Suffolk's Chief Constable. I believe the quality of officers, staff and volunteers in Suffolk is very high. I am honoured to lead such an exceptionally dedicated workforce. My Chief Officer team and I are committed to relentlessly pursuing high standards and to serving all communities fairly and equitably. C.C. Curtin is also the national lead for workforce representation and diversity. Her appointment was unanimously supported by the panel after Police and Crime Commissioner Tim Passmore proposed C.C. Curtin for the role. Mr. Passmore said, I was very pleased to propose Rachel as Suffolk's next Chief Constable. It is a momentous appointment as Rachel will be the first female holder of the post in our county. Rachel was a strong candidate and impressed us with her forthright commitment to public service and delivering for the people of Suffolk. Rachel has a wealth of experience and knows the enormous challenges ahead for us in Suffolk, 
including finance, increasing demand and the changes in the pattern of crime. Improving public trust and confidence will be fundamental to her role. I have no doubt that she is the right person to lead the constabulary in its delivery of my police and crime plan. MP Matt Hancock is facing questions over his political future following his third-place finish on ITV's I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. His stint down under has drawn criticism from colleagues, including Prime Minister Rishi Sunak. Mr Hancock placed third in the TV show and he was beaten to the crown by winner Jill Scott. After 21 days in camp, his journey came to an end as he sat down with Anton Deck to revisit his jungle highlights. He said, I just wanted to show what I'm like as a person. I just wanted to be myself, and politicians don't come across as human enough. But in here we've had all sorts of interesting and important conversations. What I was grateful for was that we had grown-up conversations. No strong feelings, no aggro. I know it was controversial coming here. We've all got different sides to our personality. And so I just went in absolutely clear that I was going to be myself. Since his jungle jaunt, it's been relieved that the, uh, revealed that the West Suffolk MP has been paid £45,000 to appear on another TV show called Celebrity SAS Who Dares Wins. His appearances on the two shows have proved controversial, with his decision to head to Australia resulting in, in him losing the Conservative whip and putting his future as an MP in jeopardy. Mr Hancock came face to face with angry MPs in Parliament on Monday. He will return to Westminster for the second reading of his dyslexia bill. Tory MPs have been given until Monday to declare their intention to rerun at the next vote. And we have an editor's note, and she tells us, Mr Hancock announced on Wednesday that he will be standing down at the next election. He said he had discovered a whole new world of possibilities, which I am excited to explore. A weekend of festivities and bustling events marked the arrival of Christmas in Bury St Edmunds. Streets and car parks were packed for the first Christmas in Bury event, which replaced the long-running Christmas fair this year. Gift fairs, markets, street entertainment and a beer festival drew thousands of visitors. A polar bear, carousel and giant gingerbread house joined the line-up with the event held a success by organising partners Ark Shopping Centre, Our Bury St Edmunds, Bury Town Council, St Edmundsbury Cathedral and West Suffolk Council. Councillor Susan Glossop, Cabinet Member for Growth at West Suffolk Council, said it was great to see the town busy. The events have been very successful and we would like to thank all those that visited or put them on. Roads and car parks throughout the town were busy all weekend, while some coach party visitors did not realise the Christmas fair of years gone by was no longer on. Councillor Glossop said free park and walk sites were available at Green King and Olding Road, adding, We paused work on the multi-storey car park until the new year to ensure all spaces were available for the busy weekend just gone. It is the responsibility of coach companies as independent commercial businesses to check what they are advertising or selling tickets for. 
However, we did contact coach companies that have previously brought visitors to the fair to advise them of the change to this year's Christmas events. St Edmundsbury Cathedral's Christmas Market was open from Thursday to Sunday with a steady stream of visitors throughout. On Saturday, Inca the Polar Bear joined the event to make three appearances on the Cathedral Garth, with families able to have their photographs taken with the friendly polar bear and her cubs. A Cathedral spokeswoman said the market was a great way to start the festive season, adding, It was wonderful to see all the visitors to the Cathedral this weekend, both those returning and those who haven't been to the Cathedral before. The Ark Shopping Centre has welcomed stalls selling gifts and a range of tasty food and drink, which will remain open until December the 22nd. Meanwhile, the Victorian carousel and light installations, including a gingerbread house this year, are also back at the centre. This weekend also saw the Apex host a three-day gift fair with more than 50 arts and crafts stalls and the town's regular street market visited on Saturday and Sunday taking on a Dickensian theme with entertainers and music. Mike Kirkham of Arbery St Edmunds said, The festive period is an important time for a town centre and for our businesses, so now is a great time to visit and show your support by shopping local. Volunteers, partners and stakeholders of the Bury St Edmunds Rickshaw Service have been presented with badges at a special ceremony celebrating an award from the late Queen. BSE Rickshaw was this year one of 244 charities and good causes nationwide to receive the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service, a scheme which recognises innovation and achievement in volunteering. The award was bestowed upon BSE Rickshaw just before Elizabeth II died and is therefore one of the last of its kind to be given out as the scheme has now been discontinued. BSE Rickshaw was established in 2018 and came into its own during the pandemic, providing transport services to people in need and ferrying around essential goods. Currently, through its delivery activities, it supports the Best Before project, the Berry Drop-In, the Gatehouse Food Bank, Tafen House and the Berry St Edmunds Women's Aid Centre, among other local charities. Organisers met for a smaller service on November 10th to formally receive the award from Claire Fitzroy, Countess of Euston, Lord Lieutenant of Suffolk. Saturday's event at Ashlar House in Eastern Way, Berry involved a much larger group of partners and volunteers who were each given their own commemorative badge. Among the BSE Rickshaw volunteers who attended the ceremony was Amanda Martin. She said, We had all our volunteers present and they were given their Queen's Award badges. There were also other stakeholders there, including representatives from the schools, the care homes, the food providers, everybody that we work with. We call them our community partners. She added, the Queen's Award for Voluntary Service is the MBE for volunteer groups. It's the highest accolade you can receive in this country as a voluntary group. They were given this badge as a valued volunteer. The BSE Rickshaw Service welcomes all volunteers or anybody who has ideas about how the organisation can improve going forward. 
And News Talk listeners may be unaware, but Nick and Jill Gain, two of our newsreaders, are volunteers with BSE Rickshaw. Jill is also the chair of News Talk. Campaigners say Suffolk has a shortage of 2,400 care workers and want councillors to take urgent action to recruit more to fill gaps left by those who've quit the sector over poor pay. Suffolk County Council has £2.8 million ready to spend on social care, but yesterday rejected a call from Sandy Martin to use it to recruit more staff and improve workers' wages. Mr Martin said shortage of care workers in residential and domiciliary care is leading to a backlog of unmet care needs. Unison regional organiser Winston Dorset said social care was limping along close to collapse. He said people who love their jobs and love making a difference for Suffolk's most vulnerable residents are flooding out of the sector because they just can't afford to live on the wage anymore. The decision to press ahead with an eco-homes development on an Elmswell site will be scrutinised by councillors. An agreement by Mid-Suffolk District Council's MSDC Cabinet last month to move forward with a low-carbon housing scheme in the village is to be sent to the scrutiny committee. The contentious proposal is for land off School Road and Church Road, which has been suggested as a site for a new primary school. A petition for a new primary school on the site gained around 600 signatures, including 300 in the first 48 hours. Elmswell Parish Council had discussed the primary school with MSDC and Suffolk County Council, SCC, the local education authority, before Cabinet's decision in favour of the eco-homes. MSDC councillor Andrew Mellon is leader of the Green and Liberal Democrat group that asked the decision to be called to scrutiny, which could lead to reconsideration at Cabinet. Councillor Mellon said there are barriers to overcome for a new school on the Landoff School Road and Church Road, but I think it could still be possible with some creative thinking. The land is owned by MSDC for the specific purpose of providing housing. Councillor Harry Richardson, Cabinet Member for Economic Growth, said to use the land for another purpose, it would have to be proved there was no way the land could facilitate housing and that there was no need for housing in the area. We simply cannot prove either of those two criteria, he said. A disabled pensioner was forced to walk home for more than two hours after roadworks brought a town to a standstill. Kevin DeFritis, aged 66, who lives in Simmons Road, Bury St Edmunds, walked 2.6 miles from Northgate Street late on Wednesday afternoon last week after delays in town meant buses and taxis were in short supply. Bury St Edmunds Town Centre has recently been chock-a-block with traffic as multiple roadworks take place. I'd waited an hour and a half for a bus the day before, and really didn't want to go through that again, he said. It was 5.45pm and I had also tried taxi firms with one telling me that they weren't taking bookings between 3pm and 6.30pm as it really wasn't worth spending three and a half hours getting in and out of town for a £6.50 fare. 
I used crutches to get around and decided to hobble home. The next day I was in a bad state. An emergency road closure on Tafram Road, which has been in place for two weeks for work by Cadent, ended on Friday. Three phases of work by City Fibre are also underway at King's Road until December the 9th, but have now been completed on Angel Hill. A spokesperson for Suffolk County Council said, There has been a high volume of road space requests, with a large number of these coming from utility companies. With the traffic management required to do this safely, there will inevitably be some disruption. For urgent or emergency roadworks, we receive little or no warning when a permit is submitted, which can cause added pressure. A significant stretch of roadworks on the A14 has been completed after almost two years. National highways began work between junctions 33 and 44 in March 2021, with a closed lane in both directions from junction 36 to 37 at Newmarket. A speed restriction was also in place as a result of construction and maintenance work causing narrow lanes. The roadworks included bridge waterproofing, work to keep the bridge safe, replacing barriers, drainage, new road signs, resurfacing, road studs and a clearer line of road lines. However, the work has now been completed by National Highways and Niam McGrath, project manager for the regional upgrades to the A14, said... We are delighted to have delivered this large-scale maintenance and improvement programme and removed the traffic management measures from the road. The work has significantly improved the quality of the road, making it safer for years to come. Using modern techniques and packaging, a number of maintenance works together also means less disruption for those regularly using this stretch of the A14. I would like to thank local road users for their patience and understanding while this work has been completed. I should think we've all been held up somewhere along the line with that, haven't we? Yeah. <laughs> That's good news. So that often is. nobody's working there. No. <laughs> That's what's really frustrating, uh, isn't it? That's good news. Yes. Yeah, right, this is news. a nice little article as well. Is it? A traditional barber shop, the oldest in Bury St Edmunds, is celebrating 40 years in town. Aidy's Barbershop in St Andrew Street North hit the milestone this month. The shop is run by Aidy Doe, who took over full-time from his dad in 2014. Tony Doe launched the shop, originally called Tony's, in 1982, before being joined by his son, first as an apprentice, in 1987. Over the years, Tony, Aidy and their staff have served thousands of customers, and there is one thing that hasn't changed. What's said at the barber shop stays at the barber shop, said Aidy, aged 51. I love the social side, and really it's like being at the pub, only without the beer, and a pair of scissors or clippers instead. You get to hear all the news, and in a way we're like counsellors. People tell us their problems, and we tell them ours but it's a code that nothing anyone tells us leaves the shop. And I don't even tell my wife. People's secrets are safe with us. Customer service, as well as good haircuts, has been the key to the longevity of the business. The shop also has a loyal customer base. 
For one family, we have cut four generations of hair, including the great-grandfather, who's 96, said Aidy. We also have people still come to us when they have moved away, even abroad to Canada and New Zealand and are back visiting relatives. At the moment, the shop has four staff. Everyone who has worked here has left their imprint in one way or another, and we've been lucky to have such great staff, said Aidy. We are the oldest barber shop in Berry, and I was proud to take over from Dad when he retired and continue the legacy. We started off upstairs and then moved to the basement, so we have always been in the same location too, which is nice. The Covid period was a difficult time for everyone in the industry, but we managed to get through. We'd like to thank all our customers over the years for their support. Tony, now 73, said, Considering all the competition there is these days, it's great the shop is still going. When I opened the shop, there were only about three other barbers in town. Now there are about 20. I think being good with customers has been the secret of our success and the great staff we have had over the years. A new bike rack has been unveiled in the Abbey Gardens. Made by Stolangtoff Base designs on metal, the racks bear arrow fletchings to pay tribute to St Edmund and will allow visitors to shelter their bikes under the wooden dovecote by the tennis courts. The project was a partnership with West Suffolk Council and sponsored by local bike shop Cycle King. Councillor Joe Rayner, West Suffolk Council Cabinet Member for Leisure, Heritage and Community Hubs said, the design is a lovely complement to the millennium the Abbey is celebrating this year. Healthy families and communities are a priority for this council and I'm so pleased that people are choosing to use their bikes to come and enjoy this beautiful space. Volunteers got their hands dirty as they planted thousands of trees at Fair Oaks Farm in Finningham Road, Stowe Market. Hosted by the climate charity Possible, the volunteers helped to restore hedgerow fences in an effort to boost biodiversity. The team managed to plant 3,780 trees over 630 metres, which will provide practical utility to farmers, habitat for threatened wildlife and the ability to lock up tonnes of carbon. Tree planting campaigner Elliot McDevitt said, Tree planting is always an enjoyable and rewarding experience for possible and all of our volunteers. Hedgerow regeneration will undoubtedly be a valuable tool as the UK looks to reduce its carbon emissions and restore its native wildlife. Well, we're moving on now to the ever-popular letters section. Uh, and our first letter this week is from Barry Peters, the editor of the Barry Free Press. And he writes, It was the worst-kept secret of the last few weeks, but at least the cat's out of the bag now. No. Not the third place for West Suffolk MP Matt Hancock in the Australian jungle TV merry-go-round. I tried to get hold of the controversial MP to ask some questions of him about his future, his constituents, the extent of his commitment to charity and how he spectacularly failed to get dyslexia mentioned many times on the show. That was a prime aim going into the jungle for a reported £400,000, you might recall. But it was all to no avail. 
Mr Hancock was not available to me this week, even on the phone, due to other commitments. At least he seemed to be enjoying all that post-show partying. No, no, the real news this week, which piqued so much interest, was the unveiling of Primark as the new anchor store for the Ark Shopping Centre in Bury St Edmunds. Our online comments went into overdrive, with both supporters of the cut-price fashion retailer and those who thought it was the final nail in Berry's retail coffin. It seems the brand polarises opinion like nothing else. Well, which is exactly the case too with MP Mr Hancock. Time will tell if his jungle jaunt makes or breaks his own political future. That's Barry Peters, as I said, the editor of the Berry Free Press. Um, my first letter is from Keith Apps of Berry St Edmunds. And it says, development is still not finished. According to the Berry Free Press some time ago, the Tafen building was going to be finished shortly. Well, how long is shortly? The Ipswich Street end of the building is just as bad as it ever was. The damage done to the pavement by the builders has not been repaired. The fire escape door frame next to the gate still looks like it could do with some frame sealant. The local residents were right about the Tafen building being an eyesore. It's a pity that the planners ignored what the local residents thought. Uh, now a letter from Robert Halliday. And he says, uh, MP's poor example to other workers. Uh, there's been much debate, debate and controversy about the recent upsurge in the many workers going on strike in the run-up to the Christmas season. At the same time, Matt Hancock, a Suffolk Member of Parliament, has abandoned his duties to appear on an utterly ludicrous reality television programme. Maybe this is a tautology, since all reality television programmes are utterly ludicrous. Members of Parliament are paid very high salaries for doing their jobs. If a Member of Parliament is clearly shown to make a high-profile display of abandoning their duties and responsibilities at this serious time, why should anybody else be expected to conscientiously do their duties and their work? Jim Mitchell, he writes via email. <clears throat> Mayor idea is a waste of time, he says. Suffolk is to get a directly elected mayor to run the county council, the Chancellor of the Exchequer announced in the House of Commons on Thursday, November the 17th. However, it is fair to say there have already been voices of opposition to these significant proposals, pointing to a degree of scepticism which could lead to real problems in the future. There are reservations about limited accountability and the potential for disaster regarding the good folk of Suffolk. For instance, what happens when, perhaps, someone directly elected doesn't share the views of most elected councillors? Nothing would get done. In short, a strategy for chaos and conflict. Of course, this Conservative proposal for a mayor for East Anglia has been raised before and shot down in pretty short order because of the increased bureaucracy and excessive cost. Yet another layer of so-called democracy that few people want outside the upper echelons of today's Tory party. Hasn't the government got enough to do with problems concerning the economy, rising inflation, the war in Ukraine and the looming threat of a global recession? 
Why waste time promoting half-baked proposals that will, at best, only confuse people in God's own county in predominantly rural Suffolk? Regarding the present Conservative Party's grip on stability, with four chancellors of the Exchequer in four months and three prime ministers in three months, who would bet money on any long-term planning this government either proposes or promises to anyone? So my emphatic reply is rubbish. Please stick to your day job and stop peddling yesterday's failed ideas. Now we've got an angry letter from Kevin DeFratis. We've already heard a little bit about him oh. from Barry St Edmunds. Um, but his letter is more general uh, and it says frustration over continuing roadworks that he's feeling. I have a complaint which is reflected by many other people living in the Morton Hall area and the various routes leading in and out of central Bury regarding the roadworks that are causing sheer anger and frustration. Someone is making a great deal of money out of this chaos, and the apathetic response by the council is to not give a damn. Does anyone in the council bother to go and check how taxpayers' money appears to be squandered by the company causing this chaos? Enough is enough. There are numerous times where barriers appear all of a sudden with temporary traffic lights, etc., and no one is working at the site. The situation around Tafen Road has resulted in taxi companies not taking bookings between 3pm and 6pm because, and I understand this, no taxi operator is prepared to spend three and a half hours getting in and out of town to earn the princely sum of £6.50. Mully's bus services are generally running an hour late. And then they're later, excuse me, than their advertised schedule. And I've twice spoken to Mullies who are very unhappy about it, but say their complaints fall on deaf ears. I am severely disabled and I walk with the age of two crutches. And as I could not get either a taxi or a bus, M33 town to Morton Hall, I had to hobble back home. The journey took nearly three hours and it isn't a long journey. And both my legs were extremely painful by the time I made it back home. This madness just goes on and on. I could give you more examples, but I'd just be thrashing a dead horse. Um, Sheila Fincham writes via email, I read with interest the report regarding disability access in Berry Town Centre. That was letters of November the 25th. There are three things that could be fixed very easily. There are three dropped curbs that have parking spaces in front of them. One opposite Boots, where there is a lay-by with a dropped curb. Outside Marks and Spencers again, there is a dropped curb and a parking space right in front of it. To add to my anger, the disabled parking space in front of the clock also has a dropped curb. The question is obviously, does the council need more revenue to have to put car park spaces in where there are dropped curbs? My worst is the one opposite Boots as I have to go right down to Iceland to cross and then come back up the other side to get to the Ark. Now I'm going to finish this section with two short letters. Uh, the first one from E.M. Barber Lomax, writing via email, uh, saying, Upstairs P.O. is a nightmare. Our Berry post office is a nightmare. It's so inconvenient being upstairs. I travel in a mobility scooter and getting into the m minute lift is hard. We're coming fast up to Christmas and this morning there was a very long queue and only one person serving. Some people left because they couldn't wait and others arriving turned away and gave up. 
Surely this could be improved, especially at such a critical time. And another very short one uh, from John Watkin of Berry St Edmunds, saying other companies could deliver. I would be surprised if Royal Mail can last in its present form. Why don't companies who use Royal Mail negotiate with other forms of delivery? For example, DP do do this sort of delivery. And the last letter is from John Worsley of Bury St Edmunds. What a mess this country is in. Every government in the past ten years should have seen this looming, but no, they didn't bother. Take West Suffolk Hospital. A new one should have been built years ago. Now they are in a serious dilemma and can't do much about it. No finances. They should have monitored the amount of ageing population, how much it is growing year by year. It is too late now and we'll have to accept the consequences. Now we're moving on to features. And in this feature, Barbara Eels reports on the ingenious inventor who hopes to be an inspiration. Flames flicker at the windows, sirens wail, a fireman shins up a ladder to rescue a trapped child and an ambulance pulls up alongside. Thankfully, this is not a real emergency. It's happening in miniature in the workshop of engineer John Parnum, long-time inventor of what he calls ingenious machines. Peek behind the scenes into the back of the box where the drama unfolds and you will see a baffling array of wires and gadgets all controlled by a tiny computer. A coin in the slot sets the scene in motion with lights, sound and action. House on Fire is just one of the amazing machines John has produced over the years. The automaton even features the recorded voice of his grandson Charlie, then aged 10, calling out for help. Every square inch of the workshop at John's Suffolk home is crammed with a mind-boggling mix of potential components and completed creations. Jostling for position are a Lego sorting machine, an automatic drinks mixer, a waste pipe organ, a device for demonstrating how wings lift an aircraft off the ground, and many more. I live in an organised mess, says John. I lose things, then I find them again. While he's fast running out of space, the answer, he says, will be to build another shed. Luckily, we have quite a large garden. His wife Jane, they've been married almost 50 years, is well used to sharing their home with his inventions. There are machines in pretty much every room of the house, including more automata, like a rock band, a jazz band, and a Battle of the Dinosaurs feature. The bands combine his twin passions of machines and music. If I'd not been an engineer, I'd love to have been a musician. My dad was a very good pianist, he says. His version of the seaside, seaside arcade stalwart, the Penny Pusher, laden with two pence pieces, is a favourite with their eight grandchildren. He jokes that Jane didn't know what she was marrying. She says she does now, and there might have been a clue when he booked their honeymoon in North Wales because of the steam railways, another of his passions. But these days, it's not just the joy he gets out of creating his machines. He wants to use them to do good, whether that's raising money for charity or inspiring the next generation. He's a dedicated STEM, S-T-E-M, ambassador, as part of a scheme to help children connect with science, technology, engineering and maths, bringing the subjects to life and demonstrating their values in life and careers. For John, it means taking his creations into schools on a mission to introduce children to the wonders of what makes them work, 
and hopefully motivate youngsters to start making things themselves. STEM ambassadors give their time and enthusiasm free of charge, and he would love to hear from schools who would like him to visit. He says that in Suffolk the take-up has been low, especially since Covid. We'd like to do a lot more. I want to do things with kids that are fun and engage with them and open their eyes to what is available in the world, he says, demonstrating a robot bug with light sensor eyes that follow a torch beam around the table. John, who lives in Tostock, has previously helped Thurston Scouts and Cubs with their science badges. Last month, he staged a two-day exhibition of his machines at Tostock Village Hall and raised more than a £1,000 for each. That's the East Anglia's Children's Hospital Hospices. The exhibition went better than I could ever have expected, he says. The money was a mix of door refreshments and machines. We had a wide range, uh, age range visit, many families and kids. Even one couple came from Colchester. Well, John was born in Cambridge. My father was a physicist and engineer, and I always wanted to be an engineer, he says. But it was a visit to Southend Pier that sparked his lifelong obsession with building machines. When his father took him there as a boy, it was not so much winning a few pennies on the fruit machines that captivated him, but how they worked. I made my first arcade, arcade game using relays and bulbs when I was 15, he recalls. He then went to university and into mechanical engineering. None of us had really thought of what we were going to do after university. Company After university, companies came to us and interviewed us. I was actually offered three jobs. Later, he had a succession of senior roles in engineering, including working on the development of industrial heat pumps that could be installed in prisons to recover heat from the showers. Then he came to Barry St Edmunds as an engineering director at Vinton's, specialist in equipment for the film and television industry, where he led projects including robotic control of cameras for TV studios. But my hobby was always making machines, he says. With four children, when they were young, I'd use the machines for fundraising for their schools. Some of the automata were made in the 1980s, but have since been extensively modernised. John describes them as mini-theatres. Building and maintaining the machines is not without challenges, but John takes it in his stride. With most things I do, you hit problems. Engineering is all about problem-solving. There are always small things that need fixing, he says. Did you know that a Bonaparte once resided in the Suffolk village of Brettenham? Kim Smith reveals how Napoleon's brother became one of Suffolk's most unlikely residents during the 19th century in her article from the Bury and West Suffolk magazine. The impressive Brettenham Park estate, set in idyllic countryside 10 miles from Bury St Edmunds, has been the home of leading prep school Old Buckingham Hall since 1956. However, this centre of educational excellence was once the residence of a member of one of Europe's most notorious families, the Bonapartes. Napoleon's older brother, Joseph, who had been appointed King of Naples and later Spain by his all-conquering sibling, lived quietly at the Grade Two listed hall, renting it for a year in the 1830s. He adopted the pseudonym the Comte de Survière and was known locally as a distinguished French statesman, lawyer and diplomat. Mild-mannered and idealistic Joseph, who was born Giuseppe Bonaparte 
in Corsica in 1768 and Gallicized his name to Joseph Bonaparte after the French conquered the island, was attracted to the mansion after it was advertised as a household on the most princely scale. It had sumptuous rooms boasting Rococo-style plasterwork and painted ceilings and was surrounded by parkland that included avenues of trees, pleasure grounds, a lake, woods and the sporting rights to almost 4,000 acres. While there, he apparently enjoyed visiting Cosmopolitan Berry with its many coffee shops, Georgian theatre, balls and gardens. He also claimed to have frequented Lavenham although one guidebook erroneously states that he passed through as a prisoner of war. Joseph fled to America after the Napoleonic Wars and lived a good life on the proceeds of royal gems he had smuggled out of Spain. He came to England twice during his exile, first using it as a base to unsuccessfully plead for the recognition of Napoleon's son with Marie-Louise of Austria, the Duke of Reichstadt, as the rightful heir to the French throne. The second time it was more personal. He was hoping to be reunited with the family he had left behind in France. However, his wife showed little enthusiasm, as he was a philanderer who had fathered children with other women. Ironically, Bretonham gave him a chance to live the life he had always aspired to, that of a country gentleman with leisure time to read the great literature he treasured. In fact, he claimed he had never desired the overpowering roles thrust upon him by Napoleon. BBC Radio Suffolk's Mark Murphy writes that it is so important to cherish this fantastic time of year with special loved ones. It's that time of the year when we'll soon be nipping up the loft to get down our decorations to trim up for another Christmas and it's our job tomorrow. It really hardly seems five minutes since I've put them up there earlier this year in January. Every time I shove them up the loft, I do wonder what the year ahead will bring before I bring them back down again. Well, 2022 has certainly been a year to remember for all sorts of reasons, good and bad. I don't know about you, but I do yearn for a quiet year, one where we don't have a war in Europe, climate change, a pandemic, a pandemic or cost of living crisis would really be nice. Money this year is going to be very tight for many people and I do especially worry about the pressure on parents as they try to give their children a good Christmas. Maybe this year we should be looking for a simpler Christmas. It shouldn't all be about spending lots of money. I heard of a family the other day who only buy presents for each other from charity shops. What a money-saving idea and great fun too. Christmas is about spending time with family and friends, and if you're a Christian, thinking about the birth of Jesus. A survey out this week said that being together with family and friends was the most important thing. It could be something as simple as meeting up for a nice brisk walk in the countryside or by the sea. That costs nothing. Growing up, that's how I remember Christmas to be, a much simpler time in and out of neighbours' houses and popping round to see aunties, uncles and cousins. With all the glossy adverts showing people having a supposed good time, it's easy to think we should buy loads of grub and booze, but it's only a posh Sunday dinner. Christmas lights decorating our houses this year, with the cost of electricity, I'm thinking twice. 
Brian in Melton, who appears on my Saturday BBC Radio Suffolk show, is going to buy some solar lights for his tree. He's going to drape the fur with the lights and pop the sensor outside to charge up when the sun's out. Genius idea. In the last couple of years, we've received fewer cards and we're contemplating not sending as many this year. With a first-class stamp at 95p and a second-class at 68p, it's not a cheap thing to do anymore. As I read back on this, I may sound slightly like Scrooge, but I don't want to be. I want us all to have the best Christmas we can, but without breaking the bank. At BBC Radio Suffolk, we're supporting food banks this Christmas, and maybe you could too. It's important to cherish this festive time and make the most of it. We'll be one fewer around the dinner table this year, but we'll remember that special person and raise a glass to her over lunch. So if you're decorating up today, be careful up the loft and enjoy unwrapping your baubles. Oh, and if you're going to have a Christmas lunch, it's probably time to get your sprouts on this weekend. I know I will be. We're coming to the end of this edition of St Edmundsbury News Talk. If you have any comments about the memory stick or difficulty playing it, please use the phone number on the pink sheet which you have been given. Alternatively, you can put a note in the pouch when you return the memory stick to us. We would like to acknowledge our appreciation to the Berry Free Press, East Anglian Daily Times, Haverhill Echo and Newmarket Journal, from whose pages most of our items have been taken. News Talk will be back again next week. So until then, from Sheila, Roger, David and me, Val, it's goodbye. Bye.